by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brain better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Get your dancing shoes on, Derek. We're taking a trip downtown to the old club at the Oasis. We're going to be looking into the life and times of Halliday and the founder archetype. I'm James Halliday, and I'm ready for a Wonder Tour. Can you hold my egg? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Wonder Tour. I thought that was probably one of the most awkward moments of the entire movie. I do have to say, can you? I'm looking for my egg, and you know, obviously Wade's like getting pursued, like nobody's business. Um, but this is, I think, this this moment with the founder. I think is extremely telling. And I wanted to open with that because I, I just, I don't know. I just, it really, I want to start there, Drew, because, um, you know, he's, he's kind of working with, with Halliday, you know, here at the very end, you know, and he's, he's passed the final test. And now he's just like, um, when it's in the drawer, I forget where it's at. And, you know, Wade's like, uh, dude, we got to go now. The real world is way faster than your programmed avatar, you know? Um, it's like the YouTube clips that, you know, we all know you watch at 1.5x, uh, 1.25x, um, you know, you just can't speed the guy up, you know. And this, I think, uh, pointed to, for me per- personally, a fundamental difference between Wade and the founder. And uh, so anyway, I'm going to toss that right to you right off the bat here, Drew. All right, well, let's let's open it up and talk about the mentor. This is part two of Ready Player One. So we've already dug deep into the story and some of the characters. We talked about Sorrento. We talked about Watts. In this half, we're going to talk about some of the other characters. Let's start here with Halliday. So Halliday plays the mentor role in this movie, and he plays a different type of a mentor than we have talked about previously in Wonder Tour. He's, there's similarities and differences, of course, but I think what we're calling this mentor type is the founder so he his role as the founder you can think about it he has elements of other characters you know he's got some steve jobs like traits going on um we we all kind of know what a founder archetype looks like you know he's got some willy wonka and stuff like that but what we're I think what we want to touch on here, I guess we can start by just looking at what does the founder archetype look like? And then what you were getting at, Derek, is we could talk about how the founder archetype kind of is passed down to the pupil, but it's also not necessarily, it's not passed down one to one. It's not, we don't need a second founder necessarily. We need a, we need somebody else who has those traits of a founder, but also infuses their own traits in order to create even more, you know, even more delight and joy um, in the the product or service that they're building. Yeah, I think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? He um, 
he shared that curiosity and wonder. And I think Wade shares the same curiosity and wonder. And I think you just got to have that link. And I think in this case, um, the link was ethical. Um, you know, the, the contract and making decisions, maybe making decisions the same way the founder would make them. Not necessarily the speed, um, not necessarily the um, content. I think Halliday is perfectly fine because he established something called Oasis, which was a, a, an infinite blank canvas, um, you know, that he was he's going to be fine with the content that Wade creates. But he knows the content flows from a certain um, source, right? Halliday has this. He's so experience driven. He's so counter kind of counterculture, counter whatever everybody else wants to do. We mentioned in part one the moment where he has the the scene with Sorrento and Sorrento wants to make this whole thing a subscription model. And Halliday's just like, no, we're making this an experience, not a subscription model. Um so and that happens. I've I've not been, you know, directly involved in startups, but you know, talking to people who have and and are and stuff like that, right? You have the Startups have that moment where it goes from the founder's vision and the founder's experience that they're trying to deliver to you have to hand off the operations to somebody. It gets, it gets too big and, and there's, you know, there's banks involved and stuff. And so you got to hand off the ops to somebody else. And at that point, the business people take over and start running it. And that's kind of the fight that we're having here between Halliday and Sorrento is Halliday has done very well for himself to create this world that people absolutely love. And they keep coming back to it's become, in fact, the dominant thing in the global culture is this virtual world of the Oasis where you just see like things are built around the Oasis in the physical world. Everybody knows that everybody plays it to some extent, it seems like. Um, so he's created this experience. And then what's the, the battle here that's going on is the battle to take that and make it into a corporate, you know, kind of a corporate thing that that is run like a business and. Uh, and the implications that come alongside of that. We see some things here that are in, uh, they're interesting. There's, we're not going to have enough time, of course, just like on every Wonder Tour to talk about each thing. But of course, there is. Uh, it brings me back to visions of the classic French book, Germinal, um, by Emile Zola, where it's about this mining town and the this guy who comes to this mining town. And they have this, this setup where, you know, they're, they're just debt. They're creating this this mountain of debt for these these poor people, um, forcing them to to mine the coal mines, and they're they're just creating an ever a bigger mountain of debt. Everything's you know you have to use the credits at the company store. There's no like open market currencies and stuff like that. And that's kind of the world that I see that Sorrento is trying to create here. Is and and that's what Halliday is railing against. Really cheapens it, right? I, I was. <laughs> I was uh, trying to think of that quote, but essentially he the, the gist of it is that he said that uh, we can cover 80 percent of a player's screen before it induces seizures. Uh, so, yeah, with ads. something to that effect. And, I, and it really struck me. Uh, I had a no, I'm just kidding. I, I did not uh, react in that way at that point. But 
um, I was thinking of that. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I hate to look at that. And it's it's really is your pop up nightmare. You know, that's that's why pop up blockers exist. Um, and uh, you know, but hey, think about it—an interface that you don't own anymore, or it's not open anymore. And now, you know, all of a sudden these pop-ups are, you know, um, coming at you like crazy, you know? Yeah, there's all kinds of ways that you can cheapen the experience. But the point is that as the kind of visionary founder archetype, Halliday is dead set on not having the experience cheapened. And that's, I mean, that's awesome for a founder archetype. You know, I've been a founder of of a couple of things. I've founded uh, at least one thing with you, Derek, (laughs) Wonder Tour, and actually multiple things with you, Derek. that we've done together um, in business and in, in life. And if you sometimes, you know, Wonder Tour, we're relatively early on and we haven't handed off the reins to anybody else. We don't intend to necessarily. That's not really how this works. But in business, oftentimes you are forced to hand off the reins because you only have so much capacity. And so you need to, and because you want diversity in, in leadership and things like that. So you build something and then you need to hand off the reins to somebody else on that team or on that project or on that platform that you've built or whatever. And at that point, you you kind of do the type of person that you're looking for to take over most of the time in business or the type of person that the, you know, like the corporate people want to take over is more so going to be the ops person, the manager type, because we, you've created a lot of value. Now what we do is we protect that value. And that seems to be one of the things that's at play here is Halliday was always more of the creator and gambler type where he's saying like, I don't care if it all goes to zero, I don't care because it will have been an experience. And that's what he's showing at the end when he has the moment in adventure. And he's trying to show like, look, it's not about completing the game. It's about finding the Easter eggs. It's about the experience along the way. Well, and I think you design challenges, you know, I mean, gleaning some wisdom from the movie here, you know, he designed challenges um, driven by curiosity and understanding right i mean really the winner um is someone who you know wade obviously you know there's one there's one aspect of this is like okay you can have knowledge right you can know things you can know the delorean from back to the future you can um you can pick up on the music you know sometimes i don't know if you noticed that or not there's several several moments are just like back to the future you know like music you know um, I love it. Uh, I don't really know how to explain the the sounds or whatever, but it's like chimes or something like that. Um, but my point is, is that um, through these challenges, um, you can have either knowledge about Halliday or what I find from the movie is that you have when you have understanding, then the challenges become doable. Right. And so that's what Halliday he really wanted to be understood, not just. Oh, well, I, I wrote the book on holiday. Yeah, you know, he did this. He got up in the morning and did this. Why? Why did he do that? Um, and the founder wants to find somebody who understands the why about them um, because that's why they made the company that they made or that's why they made the thing that they made. And so that's what we find here. And I think I've never seen probably a stronger representation of that in a movie that I can think of. Um, other than this, other than, I mean, Willy Wonka was one thing, but I really felt Willy Wonka was very 1D, uh, where this one's like, hey, you know what, uh, son, um, why don't you figure out my love life? <laughs> so, uh, versus, you know, um, I gave you this piece of candy that never ends, and I want to see what you do with it. You know, are you going to double cross me? 
So that's a much simpler story versus, you know what? Um, let's come through my failures in love and um, let's see what you find, you know? And do you appreciate the pain that I went through? Wow. That's a big contrast, isn't it, Drew? It is. This is it. He, this is why I say he's all about this experience and he doesn't, this is what we can learn. I think from the, the mentor that we see in holiday and really from the founder archetype of mentors is if, if you do it correctly, and this is obviously like a crazy scheme that he's pulling off here and it requires insane amounts of talents and resources and stuff to pull off a scheme like this, but you can do it on much lower scale. The, if you're mentoring people, you're trying to create, you know, strong humans, whether they're they're your kids or your friends or your family or they're your, your members of your team, you can do so and you're best, you're probably best off doing so by creating a story for them to find themselves in. And sometimes there's one side of it, which is these are the people that that are just already in your life. They're gonna be in your life. This is like most obvious with your family and stuff like that, because they're not going anywhere. And these people you don't have the ability necessarily to sculpt the story to help to you know to choose the people that are going to play the parts in the story so what we can do as leaders who who want to love others well is we can step in you know at opportune times to help shade in different parts of the story basically and show you know like just help them to find themselves in the story and again what we have to be careful of is not helping them to find themselves in our story but helping them to find themselves in their own story, which means not painting every, you know, drawing all the boxes and painting everything for them and being like, this is the story, you're the character in this story. But instead, it's really to ask the questions and tell the stories and provide the experiences that help them to find who they are in the story. And this is a whole lot harder than just writing the book on X and being like, okay, just read my book and you can become like this too. Because how many times have I read a book, thought that's awesome, I really like that, that man or woman who wrote this book and I would like to be like that but then I was not able to actually implement it in my own life. The power of experience, the power of going through something. Most often we have characterized that on this uh, podcast as pain. Um, you know, people don't want to talk about pain so much. So experience is another way to, I think, package up pain, wrap it up and put a bow on it and say, hey, enjoy the experience. You're going to have, by the way, positive experiences in this experience and negative ones which we will label as pain uh i guess we'll put the other side as joy because joy is very fleeting and you know experiential right um sometimes i think it's funny though i don't know if you think this and I, this is truly divergent uh here with the topic but uh how joy i think is harder to remember than pain <laughs> i don't know why it is i love joy but at the same time, like, uh, I can't really recall always, you know, how it felt. So I think that's fascinating. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Joy is fleeting and pain is lasting. And so that's why pain perhaps is better at sculpting us than joy is. One of the reasons yeah. pain is better at sculpting us than joy is. I like what you pointed out there, though. He does. He brings he brings an experience. He brings a story. He creates a narrative. And then he basically is saying with this narrative, once we find a lead actor who can play the role in this narrative, that person will, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. That person will have become the type of person that can now lead this company. So mm -hmm. he's, without 
doing we've seen different types of box you know i we use the obvious one because i thought it was really good from oceans 11 where you talk about kind of painting the box around linus and that's a really good mentoring or, or like you know managing management tactic is paint a box because it gives somebody you know the confidence to operate in that box but that's not what Halliday does at all he does not paint a box instead what he's doing is kind of more like abstract art where he's he's creating these these markers and these guiding lights along the way but it's not linear it's kind of you kind of got to go you got to kind of read the stars to understand what's going on here and he's trying to along the way create pain create joy create learning in the person such that he'll have found the type you know he'll have kind of checked the boxes in a way maybe that's not a right way to look at it but he will have because he'll have the person with the passion to follow along in the journey that you know they have that fiery passion that they need in order to play the game and win the game they'll have also along the way they'll have developed the type of character hopefully that that is needed to complete all of the challenges and to pass the tests like we talked about in part one and so once they've passed those tests he's basically he's imparted his life's work into that person I want to say, and this is something that came to me as we were talking here, but um, I think every game is both a funnel and a filter. And I think if we're setting up these things in our situations and we want to have successors and you're going to, no matter what level you're at, you're always going to be searching out there for successors, right? You always are. Um, I, I don't care where you're at, any type of leadership, even management, um, you're always going to be looking for that. And I think this helps us be more mindful of the tests. And what do I mean by mindful? I'm not talking about crossing my legs and floating in the air. I'm just literally saying, uh, think about um, how you're validating the people that are going to come after you. And are you setting up a meaningful test that anybody can, you know, like, you know, like, like Drew said, that the easiest one is check the box. So you literally make a form and you have somebody check some boxes. Are you breathing? Uh, are you, <laughs> you know, can you show up to work on time? You know, these are like the really basic ones. Now let's get into tougher ones, right? Like, do you have curiosity? Well, I mean, could you just outright ask somebody that or should you? And then, you know, obviously we've heard about technical tests and in, in jobs for technical jobs, but you know, what about the X factor? You're looking for, do you know, just a little certain something, right? Uh, do you think Halliday could put that in a checkbox? Like, no, he, well, he has three checkboxes, they're keys, but then they're like, it goes deeper than that, right? They're all these microcosms of, of his thoughts and, and the way that he wants somebody to think, you know, I'd like to drive backwards. I think that'd be fun to go backwards and press the gas and just do something, you know, and and you have to decode that. Okay. So the challenge was decode this buddy, right? And Sorrento is like, he's just talking about being backwards. I don't know. You know, like that guy, he doesn't care. Right. So obviously he failed. Boom. You fail. Right. And that's that's exactly how Halliday designed it. Uh, it's almost like he encrypted everything. Right. Yeah. With his own personality. So he's his personality is an encryption key. And, and he encrypted his experience. And, you know, you have to figure out his personality and almost use you know, I always always go back to empathy, but you know, anyway, uh, you know, that's what Wade does, though. I mean, he he really does. And then, but he leads others too. And we could talk about that for a second. You know, obviously they're all in this. Uh, uh, he ultimately seals the deal, which he needs to, you know, in the movie. But that middle key, you know, Artemis gets the middle key. Um, I thought that was a interesting, good twist. Um, but 
I think they're all, you know, on that journey to figure out Halliday and she figures out a little bit about him, uh, but not without the help of Wade. I mean, obviously Wade was instrumental, right? He is, and he brings something specific to the table, and that, but the team kind of together brings the full slate to, uh, to the table, and we're going to hit that here next, where we talk about how Artemis actually, Ar- Artemis is really a key player here, and how I don't think that Parzival could do it by himself, because he didn't have certain understandings of the game that he needed to have in order to win that Artemis really teaches him. So let's bring closure maybe to this first segment here, where we talked about the mentor. I just... I want to kind of talk about what you just said there, though, uh, just to maybe bring it to a closure. I think let's let's talk application. How do we? Because there's different types of jobs and different types of situations, because here he's trying to create that he's trying to make a founder archetype like person. And so he by how do you create the tests? Creating the test is really important because sometimes they appear organically and other times you manufacture the test like he does here. They well, actually it's a combination of both, right? Because they appear organically because it's his life, but then he manufactures them because he actually like generates them in the game purposefully. So he uses tools like and this is so this is where I love it, and I love that we get to talk about this on Wonder Tour. So there's things like double entendres. Double entendres are a very useful story tool, and we can learn something about our lives through them. So the nice thing about a double entendre is it forces you to reframe something from multiple perspectives. You have to take multiple perspectives in order to get the double entendre, which means you have to reflect on something, which means you have to actually think about how it impacts you as a person, how it impacts other people. So it's brilliant the way he does that. He creates these double entendres, which force people to actually understand him and to understand themselves. And so his tests not only are to check if Wade, if Artemis, if H are going to be capable of passing the tests, but they're also creating the type of character in the person that allows them to pass the test. So he has these kind of just lovingly crafted tests that are are just designed to help create the type of people that can pass the test. It's just, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's, it's the type of mentor that we all want. That's the person that can help us to grow and to learn and, and to be able to take those steps forward and do it in such an organic way that it feels natural and it feels designed for each and every one of us. And I, I want to mention Og here too, because I think Og is, um, he's like a special helper function that kind of kicks in to help with the decode. Um, because, you know, Halliday, his stuff is pretty, pretty cryptic. Um, and I don't know if, you know, Og's doing this of his, I think he's doing it of his own free will. He's, it's almost like Og has a mission here to kind of like look out there and say, you know, and I, I see this often too, is, you know, it, let's say the founder, you know, maybe they're too busy. Uh, we'll just say in real life, they're just too busy to be able to directly but they've got an assistant of some sort and the assistant does understand the founder person, but they're definitely not the founder. Um, and I think that's the role Og plays here and it just kind of like helps him along, uh, maybe ask some of those questions and tries to, you know, maybe help a little bit with some of these tests. And I, I know that's a little bit to the side here, but um, I think it's important to realize that you, you really don't want to make your tests so cryptic that nobody can never pass it. So I think there, that's the extreme we want to stay away from, which is making the test too hard. Um, if you do that, I think you're literally in the middle of the founder's dilemma or the inventor's dilemma. You can look it up, uh, but basically it's 
Do you control everything and keep your idea small or do you open it up and let some other people influence it? And and when you when you get to the point where you can open it up and let other people influence it, I think at that point um, you're starting to realize that you need to make a, a doable test um, that's not too difficult. So making a test requires a ton of empathy uh, when you're talking about being a founder and saying, you know, what can this person do? Um, like you said, Drew, in other roles, you know, I think that, you know, the test has to follow what is what, what is it that you want? Like if it's operational, I think the test there is, you know, you show up on time, you do the the things that are required in operations to be done, and then you're done, and then you showed up. And so it's more about um, dependability, you know, in operations uh, versus um, openness, I think is a huge one. Uh, you know, when you're talking about an Oasis founder, uh, collaboration, you know, yep. yeah, it's, collaboration, it's, you're exactly. trying to build these soft skills in versus the hard yeah. skills, but I think we can still, you can still take away something similar. Maybe it needs, the soft skills are going to be more like encrypted tests, the hard skills, they still, it still requires, honestly, it's good to have some level of, of encryption there. And, this is this is really hard, but I mean I've learned this by by serving with uh, homeless people for years now. It's you you need the hard tests, but you also need the soft tests to help people to develop. You know, and we're honestly again we're developing together. I just always want to be as humble as I can in these moments and not say like I, it's us and them. It's just us. It's all us as humans. In this situation, you just happen to be in the the opportunity where you're able to help another human develop. But the the thing that I've learned, one thing I've learned is you really don't want to like just setting the bar in a hard test is very difficult for somebody to pass. who has got hard life circumstances. Like you actually need a little bit of an encrypted test because they, they have to be bought into the journey. It's the same thing about if you're hiring somebody on a team or something like that. Sure. There's sometimes where you just need to get a body in a seat and you need to find somebody and you'll train them and you, you'll lead them afterwards. But there's other times where you're hiring for a key role and you need to be very specific about the story that you're telling here. And you need to make sure that the person can decrypt the test because you don't wanna just put anybody in here. You need to give them a challenge because the fact that they're even going after the challenge is gonna help develop their character at all, or it means they already have the type of passionate character that we're looking for. So when I take it back to the example of working with homeless people, it's critical that you provide some sort of soft test to go with it that helps develop character because the hard test of getting a job or finding housing and stuff like that, these are these are incredible things. These are absolutely required things, but by themselves, these things are gonna just be steps along, you know, steps up, steps back down, steps up, steps back down. We got housing, did, don't have housing anymore and stuff. We need to set up these encrypted tests that that the person actually has to want to take the test. They have to study for the test. They have to go and learn about how they could pass the test. And and it's so hard to, and I think we're using encryption here as, you know, experience, right? It's it's symbolic. You go through uh, both, you know, I mean, you, you get knowledge, but then you have to have discernment, you know, to use the knowledge in the first place, you know, and it's it's really a set of symbols. And uh, so I, I love the encryption thing because it's just, it, it does feel very much like that. And then you start to see the patterns. Um as you are the test taker. So if we put ourselves in the seat of the test taker, um, it all looks like gibberish at first. Uh, and then you start to see the patterns and you're like, oh, I see it. Okay. You start to lock onto it and it starts to, 
I mean, it also starts to change you. It changes your perspective. And then, you know, you go full circle. Now you obviously at the end, you can say, well, if you have two goals, right? One goal is I'm just going to crack this and then I'm going to do whatever I want with it. So that's the Sorrento angle. And then the, the, obviously the weight angle is I'm going to crack this and I am going to continue in the same uh, track as, you know, the founder did. Obviously, I might speed it up and not carry around a super heavy egg all the time, but you know, I don't know. That'd just be me, I guess. <laughs> so let's move on to part to the second half of this episode now. This has been awesome. I, I did not really expect this to go this direction on holiday necessarily, but I think we've really unearthed a new archetype that we can bring forward for Wonder Tour on the mentor. And hopefully, uh, it, hopefully it impacts us both in our mentee and our mentor relationships that we find ourselves in where we're, we're starting to understand that, okay, you know, there are tests that are set up. They're not necessarily, you know, some of them are going to be encrypted and stuff like that. How are we going to study for those tests? How are we going to set up those tests in a loving way for other people? So let's move to part two. Part two is going to be more about the game theory. And what I want to talk about here, and I want to give credit to uh, a, a guy who, you know, didn't necessarily come up with this, but exposed me to this. I, you know, he's more of a mathematics guy and a, a stats guy, but Ben Gretsch. So I'll give, give credit to him. Um, at, his Twitter is at yards per Gretsch. Um, but he came up with this, uh, this concept and was applying it to fantasy football. And I took it and applied it to um, what we're seeing here in game theory, because again, it's a lot of these, these games are all similar. So the idea that he talked about seemed perfect to apply it to ready player one, which is how do we, and when do we adjust our prior beliefs about the players and the rules? So let me say that, let me say that in a different way. How are we going to update our prior assumptions that we've created in our mind about the players and the rules? Up to this point in game theory series in Wonder Tour, we have talked about different ways of creating those assumptions. How do we come up with the assumptions about the players? How do we come up with the assumptions about the rules? When do we do so? Now, what I want to talk about is kind of the next level, which is when do you update those assumptions? Because we see in Ready Player One that characters can create a significant advantage by updating or not updating their assumptions according to the stimuli that they're getting from the game. It's hard to know. It's it's hard to know when you want to do it. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know exactly a hundred percent where to go right off the bat with this, but um, I would we say, yeah, I was going to say, okay, so first one I would think of then is uh, patterns, right? And I would say it's a little bit like a frequency count. So once you have certain patterns that a certain player does, um, you know, repeatedly, and you can isolate that particular pattern and you start to learn about that pattern of behavior, you just tick a box, right? And you just add one to the count uh, every time you see it. And I think when you start to see potentially a skew in a certain direction, you may want to consider, and I, I like the idea of having basically two, the more disparate the actions, the better, in my opinion. Um, so when yep. someone really diverges, uh, you get a really good picture, but there's still going to be a skew. So if you have a divergence, this is great. And if you have a skew, that's even better because then you can recenter on the one that has the higher frequency, you know, 
out of those two. How's that? How's that for a start? Yeah, that's a good start. Let's yeah, we can start by talking about patterns. So let's talk about Sorrento and his relationship with Wade. Sorrento is fails to ever update his priors in this movie. So we're using priors as a shortcut for prior beliefs or prior assumptions. So at Sorrento kind of goes into this game with this this bravado, this confidence that he's going to be able to win it because he has all the resources and he has all the you know he's he's accumulating this knowledge about Halliday with these experts and stuff like that. So he comes in and he as soon as Wade enters the game, he doesn't know who Parzival is until he wins that first race. He does his research on on Parzival and he's like, oh this you know this guy's nothing. And then he, when he finds out he's act he is Wade Watts. Once IROC provides that information to him, he confirms his initial bias that this guy's nothing. You know, he's scum. He was he's he's in the stacks in, in Columbus. You know, nobody's even he and he says that. He's like, nobody's gonna notice if if you're just wiped off the face of the earth. So this assumption that he makes about a different player, he's basically assuming, based on the prior patterns that he's seen in his life of maybe certain people or, or or maybe based on his pride so maybe not based on patterns that wade is going to fail and he's going to squash him like a bug and that wade doesn't have the what's special you know something special that it takes in order to be able to to win he got lucky he, he assumes he got lucky to solve that first puzzle with the key he says like oh he only has one key don't even worry about it basically and and you know what's clear about that assumption right there is that do we really have the the knowledge of whether anybody even knows how Wade did it? Um, I think that they don't know how Wade did it because if they did, they would have realized the pattern. And and this is this is it. This is right back to what I was saying before, which is if you had that disparate data point, right? So one is that he treats every player like a commodity. Right. And everybody's the same. Everybody's lame there. I, ra- I rhymed, um, you know, because I, I do it all the time. Um, but if you, you know, you look at Wade as purely a commodity and you miss the fact that he drove backwards through the entire course. Um, I think you're going to be like no big deal. You know, he's no big deal. He just got lucky. I don't think he really even especially the people that far up in an organization that, you know, typically not getting direct information, right? Uh, which is, a, you know, it just shows how, like, much of a, or how much lacking he is in leadership, you know, because a real leader would be like, I want to know exactly what happened. I want to go exactly to where it happened um, because that's, like, the real story here, right? Yeah, and he tries to use the surface-level information about Wade in the negotiation in the moment that we had in part one, where he's trying to get him to sell out. He's, he's like, oh, you know, the breakfast club and all this kind of stuff. He's trying to use, he he's literally has the like the bug in his ear feeding him all of this information about who Wade is. And he's trying to just sell to him that way. And he he's not learning, he's not recognizing patterns. So I think that's the simple way we can look at it with Sorrento. And Sorrento doesn't recognize the pattern that Wade is, I, I love that you pulled in going backwards because Wade is following the footsteps of, of Halliday and he's going backwards at every step, basically. He's reverse engineering things. He's subverting expectations. And Sorrento never realizes like that he's he's going to continue to subvert expectations. I mean, he, he Sorrento doesn't even realize that Iraq is not loyal to him at all. I mean, I guess he realizes it, but he doesn't realize that, that Iraq like primarily is enjoying the game 
And it just happens that this guy is giving him currency, which allows him to enjoy the game. And you see that at the end when he's going to, Sorrento's going to blow everything up. And Iraq is like, whoa, 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 you're not, no, I'm not in for that. He's like, this is my life, man. Like, you're not blowing this up. Don't do that to me. So <laughs> I think we just see Sorrento just fail to update his priors. He just assumes that Iraq is this guy. He assumes that Wade is this guy. And then he just tries to just hammer hard his initial assumption. And, and, and he just fails on both accounts in that way. And, and so what's the opposite of that then? I think the opposite that we see is, well, number one, Wade kind of adjusts his priors too fast, especially with Artemis when he's at the, you know, he's, he's going a little bit too strong for the fact that he doesn't actually know who she is and she could be a spy and stuff like that. And she is, I think this is where we bring Artemis into it. We haven't talked about her too much so far, but she is really good at wisely updating her priors. I like that a lot. Tell me more about this, though, because I want to hear exactly what you're thinking before I let's start at the beginning. Jump in. Yep. Let's start at the beginning. So Artemis has no priors of of Percival in the initial race because he's not a known persona in this world. So she comes in, but he saves her. And so she immediately updates her priors slightly. She makes a slight adjustment and says, OK, I'll give you a little bit of trust. Whereas he's immediately giving a lot of trust because he, whatever, he's fallen over for and stuff like that. So he's immediately giving a lot of trust. But she does probably the smart thing, especially in this in this environment, and she gives a little bit of trust. She goes back to H's workshop. She gets the thing fixed. She starts to set up some little tests with him to see, like, is he falling too hard? Is he updating his priors? And then she continues to do that along the way, right? She continues to kind of work with him a little bit more and a little bit more, but she reels it back. She doesn't just adjust her priors to the point where she's like, okay, this guy's great. You know, we're going to save the world together. She, in the club, after they already have one key and they're on the path to get the second key together, she still hasn't fully updated her priors yet. And this is really important because sometimes if you adjust your priors too fast, you it, you get blowback. You get hit, you know, you, you take it right in the jaw, basically, when you update your priors too fast on something, because you, and this, let's talk about patterns this way, Derek, because this is something that I learned from sports, and hopefully everybody else has as well, from some way, shape, or form. Patterns are great. Be careful of too small of a sample size in determining a pattern, because if you're seeing, if you see two or three weeks in a row that a football team does a certain thing, that's great. That could be a trend. We should be considering that that could be a trend. But what we also should consider is that if I saw two or three weeks that a football team did a thing out of five or six weeks, I would say maybe that's not a trend. Maybe that's luck. Maybe that's just going to happen every once in a while. So consider that if you have six opportunities for an event to occur or for something to happen, just because it happens in the first three, that does mean we should consider that a pattern could be emerging and that we should update our priors. And we should probably make small updates to our priors and make it a priority to investigate further going forward. But what we shouldn't do is assume that because we saw three in a row, it's automatically a pattern because it's very, very often the case that that three in a row just was more statistically improbable, but happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, a team, I mean, you kind of really expanded it out there when you started talking about teams because, you know, you've got a complex uh, function of priors there. I mean, you know, just because, you know, five out of the 10 have strong priors, um, you may or may not be able to hang the whole the whole game on that, you know, uh, and, and make this kind of uh, informed uh, informed bet, 
you know, on, I don't want to say bet, let's just say informed prediction. Let's just say that, um, you know, on uh, the team. Right. And so, but getting back to just individual players, um, I think the best thing to do is now this is where it's tricky when you don't know somebody um, stress is opportunistic. Um, So if you see them go through something, and I think this is why probably in terms of working relationships and relationships in general, it takes a long time uh, to get to know somebody is because, you know, as you go through a relationship with somebody, whether it's a friend or whatever, you, uh, it, you know, stress comes and goes and stress is more of a randomized function, you know, interjecting into the game. And then, you know, you're seeing their responses to that. And essentially as that person's stressed, or as let's say you were stressed, you know, seeing to the other person, um, you know, so you have to think about this multifacetedly, but you know, uh, you're, you're going to build and update your priors during those periods of stress. And when you're steady state, who cares? You're typically going to see the same old, same old. You're not going to see these new sides. You're not going to see those disparate points we were talking about. You're definitely not going to see those patterns. Uh, you know, and here's the thing that's challenging about this, Drew. Um, when you are getting those points of data, they're and, and and because stress comes so infrequently, you know, you have to really be sure, you know, about updating your priors. Um, although I think it depends on the stressor and it depends on the pattern that you see come out. And uh, so there's no hard and fast rule on this one, unfortunately. But I think that's what Halliday does here is with, you know, with the tests, uh, he creates stressors and then... Uh, this is how he's he's getting the information. Uh, and, you know, I mean, obviously, this is where Wade needs to pay attention and Artemis and all of them need to pay attention to, you know, like H. H is very easily spooked, right? <laughs> I mean, we learn this in the uh, the Shining level, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you wouldn't have known that before, right? It's a or at least we didn't know it because we didn't see that stressful situation that she was in. So I think there's <laughs> stress reveals character or something like that, or stress reveals who you are. There's a quote about that. I, I can't find it right now, or I wish I could attribute it to somebody. It's probably been said throughout time, but stress does tend to reveal who we actually are. And so we can get back to the test a little bit here and say that test causes stress. Test is not equal to stress. And stress definitely comes from areas other than tests, but tests cause stress. So you're you're kind of revealing who people actually are. And so when you want to update, this is a great point. I love what you're doing here, Derek. I, we're kind of unwinding this as we go. It's the, the simple way to talk about updating priors is just noticing patterns. And that's all you have to do to notice patterns is just be knowledgeable, be attentive. But the as you get a little bit deeper, one way that you can update priors is you need to see stressful situations and in those situations now it's going to be safer to update your priors because you're going to probably be peeling back a little bit of the layers on somebody and seeing how they react and respond based in those situations so i mean i think you see that in when you're trying to create good humans and i say that in the most you know loving sort of way just seemed i seemed a little bit like a robot there but when you're trying to help create good humans by leading people or by you know training your kids and stuff like that 
you do want to put some small tests out there. You do want to give them a little bit of stressors so that you can, you know, they can see, you can see the character revealed and they can see their own character revealed because sometimes your own character gets revealed to you and you don't like what you see and it causes a reaction to change. So I, I want to get to one last piece here that we have, we've kind of dodged around it, but Wade and Artemis recognize what, that they need to update their priors on Halliday. They recognize that the game is different than they had initially thought. And they do that, like you said, by going backwards. So that's where we started dancing around it, saying that they do it by going backwards. But then going forward, they're much more capable of solving each of these problems. And by the time they get to the third and final key, he already knows. Wade already knows how to solve the problem. He said, it's adventure and you need to find the, you know, you have to find the Easter egg, of course, because he's seen that this isn't about winning the game, that Holiday's whole journey was about the experience and then he, when he gets it again, the final test, I guess the final, final test is when he has to sign, you know, the Willy Wonka sign the contract to take over the chocolate factory. He's like, no, I know this is a test again. He, because, why? Because he's adjusted his priors at this point on Halliday. He recognized that Halliday is not, even though he knew so much about him, he didn't know everything. He didn't know him as a person. Going through this journey, he started to know him more. And so he's willing to, because he's seen Halliday's life and his story and gotten to know him, now he can adjust his priors to say, oh, Halliday is the type of guy who he's all about subverting expectations. He's all about trying to be understood. And if that's the case, there's a double entendre here somewhere that I have to understand. I can't just go for the obvious solution. There's always, a, he, you know, he's always providing that one final catch. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, and I think when you, you know, when you're talking final tests here, it, it really underscores um, how important it is not to just have knowledge, but have the discernment. Uh, and the discernment comes from understanding the patterns and, you know, the patterns come from tests. And I like how this comes full circle. I mean, I really think that we've decrypted what Halliday wanted us to know about this movie. <laughs> so I love uh, it. I totally agree. I think yeah. They, yeah, we, yeah, ex what, yeah. Yes, yes. We have learned what there was to learn about this movie. Not everything, of course. We're not we're not dumb. We don't think that we learned everything in here in, in two hours of time or whatever. But we learned what Halliday wanted us to learn. It's about the experience. And, and you know, you got to be willing to subvert expectations. How, do, how are we going to train up other people who are capable? We've talked about that. We've talked about how, you know, how are you going to win the game or how are you going to play the game? It's not even just for him. It's not about winning the game necessarily. It's how are you going to play the game well? How are you going to be the best player in the game? Sometimes the best player doesn't win in the traditional sense. I, and I, and I, you know I like that. You know I like that. I love the alternate wins. Um, and really, that's where the real leadership's at, in my opinion, is these alternate wins that, you know, we talked about last time. I don't know if it was the um, first or second half of uh, Hunger Games, but I mentioned that, you know, leaders aren't really necessarily always going to go out and just get the glory very rarely actually i think but uh it's just my own personal opinion i'm sure you would resonate with that but um yeah i mean is there anything else you want to hit here or are we are no we this is i think this is a good point for us to kind of not necessarily put a bookend on the series on game theory because as you've seen we, we had an initial series where we weren't fully sure that series was going to work and how long it was going to go and how it was how we were going to manage it um our initial series that that we went through we really talked about creating a growth mindset and then now we've gone into this game theory kind of organically and i think this is a really great way to uh 
put a kind of stop on the emphasis on game theory, but it's it's going to come through in, in just about every single one tour that we go on at this point is thinking about the game of it all after we've just spent the last like 12 episodes or whatever talking about game theory. So it'll keep coming up, but this is a perfect way to end it. We talked about, we've come all the way full circle on how do we play inside of the game? And now not only that, we don't, not only how to win the game, but how to play the game well and how to create alternate win conditions that are win-wins potentially. And I, I think this, this kind of, I mean, I think it's a good time to say it. I mean, I don't know where we're, we're now leaning towards, um, you know, and, and I think this is great because we, we start to, we're, this is additive. The wonder tour is additive. So we have, like, like you said, Drew, you know, what's behind us really adds to our experience going forward. And we are on a journey here, right. To become better leaders, uh, and to help others, you know, become better leaders. And this next pivot uh, coming up, we're we're moving towards exploration, right? So we're we're kind of we're starting to phase out of game theory and we're heading towards uh, exploration, and we're super excited about that. I I think that uh, you guys will really enjoy that. Um, I know we want to figure out what it means to explore well. You know, how do you explore well? Um, and think about it. We we kind of touched on it here, even in this episode because Wade was exploring well. He had ex exploration with purpose. Um, but what does that mean? How does that play out? And How do you explore the, the right depths? How do you, yeah, the right depths at the right, right depths, time. Yeah. yeah, that's, there's so many questions that I have about exploration and I have no idea how it's going to get weaved in and even what movies or TV shows or whatever we're going to talk about yet necessarily. So uh, I just trust that those things seem to get weaved together here in the Wonder Tour. <laughs> that's right, that's right. All right. Well, if you had anything to add on this or you had questions that you want to throw out there or a thought, um, don't hesitate. Uh, hit us up on The Wonder Tour on Twitter. And next week. Next time, we've got another rabbit hole. This one's going to kick off our exploration series. We are going back to one of our favorite movies of all time, Interstellar, where we are going to learn how to become curious explorers. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, just remember... All who wonder are not lost. We'll see you next time.